Love that song, Brother Rick. More every day. Yes, indeed. Colossians 3, verse 9 and 10. The Bible says, Lie not one to another, seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds, and having put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Let's pray. Father, we love you today more and more. And I pray today, Lord, that we don't just sing the words. We live a life that shows we love you. And Lord, we're here today because we love you and we worship you. God, we need to hear from you. We need to allow the word of God to penetrate our hearts and the spirit of God to move in our lives and to challenge us to be more like Jesus. And we'll ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Is God good or what? All that time. Irene, it's good to see you here this morning. Uh, pray for Irene, okay? And she talked with Pam for a little while yesterday, but just pray for her. And I am glad that no matter what we go through, God goes through it with us. He loves us every day. The title of our message this morning is Putting Off and Putting On. And we've looked at a lot of things to put off. We list a whole list of things that the Bible says we're to get rid of. But what exactly does it mean to put off the old man and to put on the new? And the thing we have to be careful of is not to make it too complicated. Because the bottom line is it really comes down to a decision. Putting off the old man and putting on the new man is a simple act of faith. A simple act of faith. Now, let me remind you, I'm not talking about faith in myself. I'm speaking about faith in God to do a work in my life. So what does the Bible mean with the words put off the old man and put on the new man? How do we put off the old man, and how do we put on the new man? And we know that the Scriptures in several places mentions and speaks about the old man and the new man. And we mentioned it several weeks ago now. The old man is the natural mindset of our lives. The natural mindset of a human being. How many are breathing here right now? Okay, feel your pulse. Make sure we're alive, okay? <laughs> now, I, I said that to say this. We do that naturally, right? And until I mentioned that, you didn't even think about it. Now you're thinking about it. And when I think about the old man, even when I'm not thinking about it, when I'm in this natural state, the old man is selfish. I serve myself. I live according to my lust, and I have no conscious decision to give up my lust to God. And I want to tell you, there was a time in my life, sin was pleasurable for a season. Now, it's impossible, it's impossible not to be tempted in the flesh. And I had to realize there are times my body, my mind agrees with them, 
and my body carries them out, whether it's in thought or in words or deeds. And if, if we don't change our mindset, it is impossible to come to victory over my sin and my flesh. I have to change my mindset. Our text this morning in Colossians 3, in verse 9 and 10, the Bible says, Seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man. Paul also wrote in Ephesians 4.22, That you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So when the Bible says for me to put off the old man, putting off the old man is a decision that I make or you make to stop serving my own lust and stop serving sin. <clears throat> but my friend, that is an act of faith. We have to make that decision. Look again in verse 23, Ephesians Four. The Bible said, be renewed and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now think about this. If we are going to put on the new man, the new self, we must first put off the old man, put off the old self. And you cannot put off unless you also put on. Now, if we're going to do that, the Bible's clear, Ephesians 4, 23 and 24, there are two specific actions we need to take. Number one, we have to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. We've got to change the way we think. And that's what Paul said in Ephesians 4.23. But the second specific act we have to do, we have to clothe ourselves with the new man or the new self. And that's verse 24. Paul said, put on the new man. We must do that. I find it interesting that in the Greek language, and I'm not a Greek scholar, I admit that, I'm taking uh, those who have studied their word for it, but that word clothe is a verb, and it's like the same verb, put off, and both of them refer to a once-for-all action. You take off the old, and you put on the new. And we don't go back and forth. We don't keep changing back into old clothes once in a while. We've got to get rid of the old clothes. This past couple of days, Rhonda took Ella to shop for a dress. And Rhonda says, told me, she says, I hate shopping anyway, and I don't have any idea how many dresses she tried on. Now she's looking for a new dress for a special occasion, which is mine. But when we clothe ourselves with a new man in Christ, we put off the old, we put on the new, and we don't change back and forth. In fact, we've got to throw the old clothes away. 
never put them back on again. Now I want you to realize this morning, I live in a real world. And I also realize that as long as we are still on this earth, we are going to struggle with our old way of life. And I don't have time to go to it today, but Paul wrote almost an entire chapter about the struggle he had in Romans chapter 7. The things he wanted to do, he wasn't doing. And the things he didn't want to do, he find himself doing. So that struggle goes on in our life. But the Bible says, Paul also said it again in Ephesians 4.23, we need to be renewed. Renewed how? In the spirit of our mind. Also understand that phrase describes a continuing action. We need to be renewed every moment, every day. It must go on in our life. Now, we've exchanged the old self, the old man, but the process of renewal, the process of becoming like Christ, is a continual daily process. And that transformation, that change, begins in the mind and it results in the way we behave. Amen. My friend, we can sing we love Jesus all day long. But if our lives don't show it, we're lying. And when our minds are renewed, our lives are going to show it outwardly. There'll be a difference in the way we live. So how, how, how are we to be renewed in the spirit of our mind? Well, number one, we have got to be involved in activities that renew our minds. Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, now let me stop here for a minute. If you ever read, read Philippians, you know when Paul says finally in verse 8, he's not done yet. See, all preachers are the same, right? Okay? So don't, don't you know, grab your hat and coat. But Paul says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received, heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Involve your mind in activities that will renew it. Things that are right, things that are honest, things that are pure. Second thing is, we have to have a deep desire to live our lives to please God, not to please this world. My friend, this world is passing away. This world is temporary, Romans 12, too. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't allow this world to press you and shape you into their mold. And folks, I'm telling you, we're living in a time when the world's trying to do that. They're telling us we're wrong and they're right. God's Word says they're wrong and we're right. God's Word never changes. And we have to begin by renewing our mind, and we do that with a strong desire 
to pattern our lives after God, living godly, and not living like the world. And my friend, I don't care how many say it. I don't care how loud they say it. I don't care how long they say it. It never changes if it doesn't agree with God's Word. God's Word never, ever changes. So we get involved in things that renew our mind. We want to pattern ourselves after God, not the world. Number three is, here's a good one. We study and apply God's Word so that it changes our behavior on the inside. 2 Timothy 3, 15. Paul says, From a child, telling Timothy, Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, Unto all good works. How many are glad for God, God's word? Amen. The Bible says we're made pure through the washing of the word. And the more time I spend in the word of God, the more I come become like Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, and I emphasize this all the time, spend time in the word of God. Make sure God's word spends time in you. Let it saturate your life. Notice again Ephesians 4.23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now again, the verb tense here indicates a daily act. Every day we've got to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. So what does the Bible mean by that statement? I think the spirit here refers to a combination. A combination of the Holy Spirit controlling the way we think, controlling our minds, and also the spiritual side of our mindset. And that's where renewal has to begin. And my friend, it is a daily process, renewing our minds. How many know that probably one of the most favorite playgrounds of Satan is your mind? Isn't that true? And that's why we've got to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Again, Colossians 3, verse 10. And have, put, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him, that's God, that created us. We've been renewed after the image of God. So when the Bible says to clothe ourselves with a new man, it means we're to clothe ourselves we are a new creation. We are now created according to God's likeness, according to God's image. And we're created now, recreated in true righteousness, and also we recreated in true holiness. Now think about this. And I am so thankful for this. As a child of God, we now have a right Relation with God. And that, if your relationship with God is right, if it is genuine, and hear me well, that relationship will result in right behavior. Did you hear what I said? It will result in right behavior. If our relationship with God is genuine, 
if our relationship with God is right, it will also create an aversion to sin in our lives. We won't want to sin. Doesn't mean we won't do it, but we don't want to do it. If we have a right relationship with God, it also prompts us to devote ourselves, to give ourselves to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what our fear of our mind is being renewed. Again, Ephesians 4.24, put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now think about this. The Bible speaks about a result. When we are renewed in the mind, in the spirit of our mind, we put on the new man. This new man is created in the image of God. Now, I know that that Genesis chapter 1, but that image was marred. But now through Christ, we're a new creation. How many know that? We are new creatures in Christ. And so now we've been recreated. And the Bible says, in true righteousness and true holiness. And when the Bible says this is true, it means you can't fake it. Now, I know there are people that do that, but they're not right with God. Because if it's true, it cannot be faked. And this new way of living is completely opposite of the old way of living that was characterized by sin and corruption. And we are now new creatures in Christ. And I also want to clarify something. This new man is not a split in our personality. But what this new man is, it is a picture of a new direction. It's a picture of a new attitude. It's a picture of a new mindset that is away from myself and toward God. And my heart's beat is, Lord, I don't want to serve myself. I want to serve you. But don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean I've got it perfect yet. I still struggle in that area. So what do we put on? How does this work out in our life? How can I live a life in true righteousness and holiness when I put on the new man, which is created after the image of God? If you compare what Paul said in Romans thirteen fourteen, and what he says here in verse 24 of Vision, it helps to understand that better. Look in Romans 13, 14, what Paul says. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So the key is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, oftentimes as I'm reading, especially some of the epistles here in Romans, I see the command there. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll see a second command. Don't make provision for my flesh. And a third command, well, the result of that is to fulfill my own love, my own desires. How many know that's easy, easy to read? Easy to say. 
And so when I read a verse, I thought, why in the world would Paul say that? But he knows. He knows human nature. He himself battled with this. And that's why the command is clear to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says in Ephesians 4.24 that you put on the new man, which is after God, created in righteousness, and in true holiness. So in both of those contexts, Paul is exhorting those who read this, including you and I, that we ought to live holy lives. But think about this. Just because the Apostle Paul commands you to, does that mean you're going to live a holy life? No. In fact, the matter is, we can never legislate righteousness. Let that sink in. So we have to understand, what's the rationale for living holy lives? Well, the rationale for living holy lives does not come from a pure moral command imperative. Living a holy life flows out naturally once we put on Jesus Christ. It flows naturally. So putting on this new man, putting on Christ, is a decision to start serving God and to start following His will. Now, by the way, putting it on is not a long process. It's the same act of faith as putting off the old man. So putting on is the work of the moment. We put on Jesus Christ. And we take off the body of sin, of the flesh. But understand, we take off the old man. But we still deal with the body of sin. We deal with our flesh. And I cannot speak for you. But even now, as long as I've been saved, I notice the lust are still alive. One example is, and I think it's true for all of us, we get tempted. Anybody here never get tempted? I speak, I spoke with Pierce Fields often the last few weeks. I don't know why he's on my mind. He was my mentor. He's in heaven now. And he told me one time, he said, Brother Rollins, he said, you know, I thought uh, when I reached 50 years of age, it would, temptation would go away. He said, 50 years came, and, I, and it didn't go away. And he worked at the mill, Brother Rick. I think you might have known that already. But nonetheless, uh, that's where Rick worked as well. Oh, that's where he went in. I don't know if he worked or not. But uh, anyway, uh, Brother Fields worked there. And he said, you know, I, I thought, well, I'll get 50. Well, that didn't work. And he thought, well, once I retire from the mill, and then all my temptation will go away. And you know what he told me when he retired? He said, that didn't work either. So it's still there. It's still there. But because I put on the new man, because I put on Christ, I now have a new mindset. God is working in my mind. 
I now have a new determination to obey God. Now again, do I do it always? No, but I want to. And God knows my heart, and I know that He does. And even though the body of the flesh is still there, even though lust raises ugly head every once in a while, I can now be driven and led by the Holy Spirit of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I can be led by Him and driven by Him rather than my own lust. And thank God, thank you, Jesus, I am no longer a slave to sin. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Glory to God. But God can now use me just as I am. They ought to write a song about that one too. God can use me just as I am to carry out His will to resist sin in my flesh. So I leave behind my old life of serving my lust and sin by putting off the old man. And I put on the new man, and I begin a brand new life in victory over sin as I serve God. And my friend, it's a daily process. So what does it mean to put on Christ? What in the world does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Romans thirteen fourteen again. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. So to put on the new man means to put on Christ. Because the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all recreation. By putting him on, we are now a brand new creation. How many glad you're not who you used to be? Amen. Second Corinthians five seventeen, therefore, if any man be in Christ, He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, I mentioned a moment ago you can't legislate righteousness. That's true. But we can't miss the fact that the entire chapter of Ephesians 4 is sort of a moral imperative toward good behavior. And we see it there. Verse 1 of Ephesians 4. The Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now, by the way, he wasn't writing to a group of preachers. He's writing to Christians. We are to walk worthy. There is a moral imperative toward good behavior here. But we cannot forget the underlying reason, the deep reason for our whole behavior it's because we put on the new man. We have put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, him living in me motivates me to live a life worthy of my vocation. Ephesians 4.22 That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to this deceitful lust. So we put off the old, the old man, which is full of corruption, and we put on the new. Well, if you've attended our church long enough, you know by now that the Bible is clear that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully who? Fully man. He is fully God and fully man. 
And I think we need to make sure we don't miss a very profound truth here. God himself, the God of the universe, willingly underwent the experience of death so that we could have salvation. God became flesh. And the death of Jesus Christ is a definitive sign of God's immense love for you and I. Somebody asked how much he love you? Enough to spread his arms on the cross. He died for our sins. For God so loved the world. And we know the Bible, the scripture emphasizes the dual nature of Jesus Christ. Fully human, fully divine. Now remember, John said the Word was in the beginning with God. And the Word was God. But when the Word became flesh, Jesus, who's always existed, now entered a new state of being. He put on flesh. Jesus possessed both a fleshly human nature and a divine nature. And I want you to realize... His humanity was a real likeness, not a phantom. We were having lunch yesterday, and Cooper and Nate were telling me about this new thing. You, what did you call it, Cooper? Apple Vision Pro. Apple Vision Pro. And if I want to talk to you and help me out here, I could I could have AI making an image of you. Is that? Fair to say. But is it really you? No. It's a phantom. But I want you to know when Jesus became flesh, it was real. It was not an image on some kind of screen, my AI or whatever. It was real. God became flesh. And here's something I never thought about until this week, until I studied for this message. In the flesh, Jesus, in the flesh, in the human form, hear me well, he could not fully express the entirety of his divinity. Let that sink in. When they saw him walking down the street, what did they see? They saw a man, a Jewish man. Now, I realized he could do what he wanted to do anytime he wanted to. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, he pulled that flesh back. But in human flesh, he could not fully express the entirety of his divine being. Yet, Jesus was indeed God manifest in the flesh. And we say it so much, it's almost become a cliche, fully man and fully God. But my friend, that's the reality of it. That is the reality. And it's essential to recognize that Jesus' human likeness did not uh, fulfill his divinity to its fullness. John 1.14. 
The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So we see the Word becoming flesh. We see the Word dwelling among us. And yet, He doesn't give us all the dimensions, if you will. I'm not how to do this, but the fact of the matter is this. Jesus shared in flesh and blood. He was fully human. In fact, the writer of Hebrews (coughs) emphasizes the dual nature of Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. Fully God, fully man. Hebrews 2.14 For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death... He might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. So Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, took part of flesh and blood. But also notice his miraculous works. He was born holy. Now, by the way, when Christ was born in the manger, he didn't grow up to be God. He was God. He was born holy. He was born undefiled. And my friend, he was separate from sinners. Hebrews 7.26 For such a high priest became us, who was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. So Christ himself consciously fulfilled his God-given responsibility to bless and relieve humanity through his wonderful acts in our world. It's interesting. I think about Christ. We talked about it this morning and last week, his healings in particular in Sunday school. And his healing miracles demonstrated the power of God. It also demonstrated the power of his life because he was God. And the Bible prophesied his life from birth to sinless existence and glorious resurrection. And my friend, that resurrection was proof that he satisfied God. He was raised for our justification. And so his nature was fully human, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15 For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of infirmities, but was in all points, you got that? Tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. And this is because his humanity was created according to God. Think about Christ, who he was, who he is, as the living spirit. Now, how many know you have a great, 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 great granddaddy? I'm not done with the great granddaddies named Adam. Everybody know that? So we can all trace our needs back to Adam. Maybe not, you know, on what they do on TV now. what the program you can get. 
But Adam and Christ parallel each other in certain key aspects, but not exactly. Now in Adam, we all came to life. If there never was an Adam, guess what? We wouldn't be here. Eve too, I realize that. So in Adam, we all came to life. But in Adam's fall, we all entered into a fallen state. In Christ, we move from the fallen state into a new creation according to God. A new creation now in the image of God. Now remember, the Bible speaks of the first man, Adam, and the second man, Adam. And when the Bible, when you read about the first man, Adam, he's talking about Adam that lived back in Genesis. But the second man, Adam, is Jesus Christ. Paul helps us out with this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 and 46. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. How many know that God formed Adam from the dust of the earth? And the Bible says that God breathed the breath of life into him. And we read in Genesis, Adam became a living being. Then Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. The last Adam, speaking of Christ, became a life giving spirit. Now Paul wants us to understand in verse 46, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. So what's Paul's point here? Paul said that Adam became a living being. Whereas Christ became a life-giving spiritual being. And that is that Christ's flesh is spiritual. So now we can have that spiritual life in union with Christ. Now let me... Stop here for a minute because my, my, my mind is being stretched here. Adam was a living being. And all he could do is produce physical life. Once the fall came in Genesis 3, our image of God was marred. Not destroyed, but marred. Could Adam fix that? No. Because all Adam could do is give physical life. And I want to say today, I'm so glad for the second man, Adam. Jesus came. And he became a life-giving spiritual being. We now have spiritual life. 
In John 6.51, Jesus said this, The bread I give is my flesh. He goes on in verse 63 of John 6. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. Jesus said it is a pneuma, the spirit, that gives life. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, look what Paul says about that. Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. And because the blood, the fallen blood of Adam, cannot inherit the kingdom, then only a spiritual person can. And that's why there's a day coming. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 15. We shall all be changed. And I do want to clarify something. And and I don't know how that I can even really grasp it in my own mind, so it's hard to explain it. When we get to heaven, we will not be floating around like ghosts. We will have new bodies. But it will be totally spiritual too. Don't ask me to explain it. That's what the Bible says. Then in verse 53, Paul tells us what it looks like, what this spiritual transformation looks like. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. How many know that day is coming? That day is coming when we're all going to be changed. That day is coming when this corruptible is going to put on incorruption and this mortal will put on immortality. So the Bible is clear that a spiritual body, it means incorruptible and immortal body. Folks, we're going to a land we'll never die. Amen. We're going to a place we'll never grow old. I'd write a song about that one too. (laughs) We're going to go to a place there's no more heartache or tears. No more bad backs, sore backs, legs, knees. A world where only righteousness dwells. I mentioned uh, Ella buying a dress a few minutes ago. And I, I heard from her mother, they spent two days shopping. Can you imagine that? Me and Nader agreed the first thing you do, the first one you see, you grab it. Amen? Yeah, come on. But, you know, not girls. But the whole thing is, she's preparing for something. She knows she's going to a special event. And she wants a special dress and special shoes. Folks, we're going to a special event. We're on our way to heaven. 
And so God says, you know what you need to do? You, you, you need to get ready now. You need to begin to live like you're going to live for eternity. Put on that new man now. Put on Christ now. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Three quick thoughts. Number one, we are to live in our lives, our future, in the present. We're to live our future in the present. How many know you're a child of the King? How many know one day we're going to an eternal city? And we need to live out our future in the present. Ephesians 4.22 Put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. How many know when you get there, the old man is gone completely? Amen. Start living it now. Second of all, those of us who have been saved, we have been recreated into the image of Christ. We are in His image. Glory to God. Galatians 6.15 For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision Uncircumcision avails anything. But here's my thought. But a new creation. You know what makes a difference in your life? You're a new creation. If you are a child of God, you are a new creation. We are recreated into the image of Christ. Somebody should say, thank you, Jesus. The third thing is, nothing else matters but Christ in us. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. My question is this. How can we not live in a way that pleases the one who loved us enough to die and give himself for us. Let's stand together. Father, we, we thank you today for your precious word. And, and we thank you, Lord, for the clear instructions to put off the old man and to put on the new, which literally means putting on Christ. We know, Lord, that you're a miracle-working God. But the greatest miracle you ever did for me is when I became one with Christ. And, Lord, I am so thankful that now it's all about him. I know I live, but it really is Christ who lives in me. And, Father, I just pray that you help all of us here who name the name of Christ to live our lives now like we'll live them in the future. And Lord, I pray especially for those who are lost today. 
I pray, God, that they would let you speak to their heart and know that they can be changed as well. And they can know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I pray also, Lord, for those who have deceived themselves and think they're right with God and they are not. Open their eyes. But, Lord, draw us all to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.